0: Hi, this is Eric, and welcome to the first episode of The Frozen Dog. Today, we'll talk about one of my favorite topics in wilderness medicine, that is avalanches. Today, what I'll do basically is redo the presentation that I did to uh, the search and rescue team in Gardabær, which is one of the uh, rescue team in Reykjavik, Iceland. This was mostly for the uh, rescue teams and also how to address uh, avalanche victims in the pre-hospital. I really see this as the first steps, and later we'll talk about uh, the hospital management of the avalanche victim, ECMO, and uh, we'll have some people talking about uh, avalanche prediction. So if this episode leaves you on your appetite, don't worry, more is to come. I guess the first point with avalanches is that in most of people's mind, at least maybe like the general population, avalanches is for skiers, but that's uh, not true. Of course, uh, skiers, uh, backcountry skiers, and even like off-pist skiers, which are basically just people skiing like right outside resorts, are are the majority of people being caught in avalanches. But also there are some people uh, in snowmobiles who get caught in avalanches, and one of the largest uh, avalanches that happened in the recent history was in the military base in Pakistan where about one hundred and forty uh, soldiers and and civilians died in the uh, avalanches so I guess one of the starting points for avalanche um, victim management is the checklist that icar medcom uh, as has developed I'll link the checklist to the uh, the show notes um, and w- and, but I, I don't necessarily want to talk about the checklist in itself. I really want to talk about the principles behind that checklist. Um, the checklist is is quite thick when you look at it. There's a like of boxes and um, decision point and. It, might become uh, quite hard, and I think it would be really boring to do this over a podcast. So I really want to explain the basics, and then after that, once you're done listening to that show, you can just go back to the checklist, look at it, and then you will understand all these decision points. The first principle managing avalanche victims is that avalanche equals time. It is really a race against the clock, okay? And the reason is that we are running against asphyxia. This is why having a body in the backcountry is just a lifesaver because who is going to be the first one to, to, to rescue the person is usually going to be their friends who are going to initiate the, the digging. And also as a, as a rescuer, this is why when you get an avalanche call, you really need to get your things and just go as fast as possible to the site. So this is the first principle. Another key thing that is important is that the probability of survival is in function of the duration of burial. I'll put in the, in the show notes, there's a really interesting graph, uh, graphic from the Canadian Medical Association Journal um, that look into survival in, in a Canadian sample and a Swiss sample. And basically, it tells you that usually about 15 minutes of the burial, there's about 90% of survival. But this decreased significantly uh, after that. Um, and then at usually around 30 minutes, the survival is about 30%. So right in 30 minutes, the survival goes from 90, 100 to 90% down to 30%. In the first 30 minutes, this huge drop is explained for, by two things. First of all is the, the trauma that people have induced. So non-survival trauma, major head trauma, uh, neck trauma, chest trauma, and also the asphyxia. And then after this, after this 30-minute window, uh, the chance of survival is about 30%, and then it's going to slowly decrease over time, and people are going to d- disease from uh, trauma, from asphyxia, and also from hypothermia. So there are three main mechanisms of death in avalanche victims. Trauma, asphyxia, and hypothermia. Let's start with trauma. So trauma is responsible for about five to 20% of the deaths. It's usually from severe brain injuries, chest injuries, and spinal injuries. The challenge with managing trauma in the avalanche victim is that it's hard to assess on the field. People are dressed up, there's snow, you might be in a hostile environment. Even though it is hard, you really want to do a good assessment. You want to identify if there's any major causes of trauma that you can reverse on the field. Uh, Also, you want to uh, transport that patient to a safe environment where you can maybe have, have a bit more time to do a proper exam, you know, undress the patient, or um, and then after this, you can dress them back uh, to prevent hypothermia. Also, in the field, you want to do a good trauma assessment because you might identify that there is a non-viable uh, trauma, uh, and at this point, any maneuvers would uh, to resuscitate would stop. When someone is caught in an avalanche, a lot of things can happen. If you watch movies, you can see like the violence of the avalanche. People are just being like uh, pulled by this huge amount of snow, uh, which in itself can cause some trauma and also when the person is going is going to slide with the avalanche, they might hit some rocks some some uh, some trees, they might fall off a cliff, they might hit some cars. So we have to think about a lot of things that um, a lot of ways that people can get injured and one of the key points also is that we have to keep in mind that uh, we need to protect the spine. It could be the cervical collar. I know there's been some debates in the latest year uh, about how to manage properly the cervical spine. Uh, but let's say, either say you want to put a cervical collar or some some uh, sandbags on the side of the patient, or just someone dedicated fully to the cervical spine. And maybe we'll talk about that in another show. Okay, but just keep in mind to protect the spine. The other big one is asphyxia asphyxia is the leading cause of death, about uh, 75% and even more. And there are three mechanisms. First of all, is there can be some snow that is packing the respiratory tract, the mouth, the throat. There can also be some ice mask formation. Basically the patient exhale, kind of like this. this um, the exhalation contains a bit of water. This water is gonna freeze and then it's gonna cause a ice mask over the, the, the mouth, which sounds really horrible and the other thing is the uh, oxygen deprivation so maybe someone will have an air pocket but they're going to exhale co2 they're going to consume o2 and then over time they will run out of oxygen and the co2 levels will be really high in addition uh, just like the weight and the compaction of snow over the chest might rise, uh, might uh, limit this chest expansion so when we talk about avalanche you want to get there as soon as possible find the victim and clear them out. This is where the clock is running because you're really running against asphyxia and you want to reverse it, clear the head, the face, and start CPR if there's any need. Why this is so important is that there's been no cases of survival if the burial time was more than 35 minutes and the airway was not patent. So if the airway was blocked, more than 35 minutes, as far as I'm concerned, there are no people who have survived that. There are a few situations where you would not start CPR, and this would be if there are significant injuries incompatible with life or if the body is totally frozen or rigor mortis. These would be uh, moments where you would not start CPR, but in any other cases, uh, you should do it, and you should continue doing CPR unless someone who is qualified would tell you to stop. Third mechanism of death is hypothermia. And this accounts for less than two percent of deaths. And we have studies showing that in an hour, if the body is fully covered in snow, it can cool down from three to nine degrees in one hour. And this is where the theory comes from, is that if after an hour, if you find someone without a pulse, it might have been because they died of hypothermia. But the sine qua non is that that person needs to have their airway open. And this is well explained also in the checklist. When we talk about hypothermia, uh, if it's been more than 60 minutes and the person does not have a pulse, the thing is that we might be able to salvage this patient, but this would be a really uh, select group. Um, And this group would be for people who have been buried for more than 60 minutes. Like I said, uh, they've been more than 60 minutes. The body can freeze up to 9 degrees. So we can say, okay, maybe now that person has cool enough that the cause of that is because of hypothermia, but they need to have their airway open and no pulse. And the reason we wanna select that group is that these patients might be put on ECMO. For those who don't know what ECMO is, is it's called uh, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. The best way I can explain ECMO is that we put two intravascular access in the groin, and then we pull the blood from the patient, we pump it in a machine, uh who's going to rewarm the blood and also is going to give oxygen to the blood and then we're going to pump it back to the patient it's like a dialysis machine but for the heart and the lungs and deciding who would benefit from it and who would not is really complex and this should be discussed with a doctor and if we uh if we take iceland for example this would be in discussion with the pre-hospital doctor would be with the emergency doctor with the intensive care doctor and the cardiothoracic. Going back to the checklist, now we understand that there are three main mechanisms of death: trauma, asphyxia, and hypothermia. Trauma, you would assess this as any other trauma in the wilderness or in the pre-hospital field. Asphyxia, remove the snow from their mouth, you want to really expose their airway and start the CPR. And the third one is hypothermia. Hypothermia would be patients who are buried for more than 60 minutes and where we can potentially do something in the hospital would be in these patients who have an airway open, and we can put them on on a special machine called ECMO. Since this is a talk for the rescue teams and the pre-hospital, the chain of communication is super important. Because when you think about what would happen, let's, let's imagine a case where two skiers are caught in an avalanche, one is buried, the other not, activates the search and rescue alert, call uh, call 911 or 112 the SAR team uh, arrives, extract the patient, then the paramedics arrive, transfer uh, the patient to the hospital. Can you imagine how many people have been involved? So a lot of people have been involved and this is where the checklist I would say shines is that it is w- it is made that you can just you can print it, put it in your bag and then this checklist needs to follow the patient. So once that victim is found, You put a checklist on that patient, you write all the information, and when the patient is going to be transferred to the pre-hospital or to the hospital, it's going to follow it. So when the doctors receive that victim, they know exactly what happened uh, initially. What do we want to know when the patient arrives is that how long was the time of burial? So from the, the accident time to the exposure of the face, was there any airway pocket? Was there airway open? Was CPR started for how long? and any other relevant information, any major trauma, or anything else we need to know. When we talk about avalanches, of course, we talk about snow, we talk about cold environment. So the patient packaging is super important. You want to protect the patient from further cooling, and you also want to protect the patient from the external environment. Uh, The best example that I have in mind is the burrito wrap. And this is a multi-layer wrap uh, where the patient is... Basically, you apply heat on the patient if you have any warm bottles or anything that could warm up the patient. You wanna f- wrap the patient in the first vapor barrier, which would protect against uh, convective and just evaporation uh, cooling, and it's gonna keep the insulation uh, dry and effective. And then you wanna put some sleeping bag or some blanket, something warm. If, if you have this available, you can put a pad underneath the patient so the cold from the, from the ground would not uh, cool the patient further. And then you want to wrap the patient at the end with a big tarp or like another vapor barrier, which is going to protect the patient from the external environment. Just a few words on equipment. Uh, There are two uh, equipment that we we have that can basically save lives. And it's the avalanche beacon and the uh, avalanche bag. The avalanche beacons, they decrease time to find patients from, in studies, it's from two hours to 25 minutes. And like I said, time is crucial. If you go from two hours, which the chances of survival are really minimal, to 25 minutes where you're still in that window where you can do something, this is just huge. So everyone who's going on a rescue in the winter in a potentially avalanche area should wear one. The other one is the uh, avalanche airbags. There are multiple companies or multiple models, and what studies have shown is that these airbags are associated with a better chance of survival. In studies, people who were wearing avalanche bags had much better chance of survival. The principle is that uh, first of all, it can, care, can create an air pocket around the patient, and the other thing is the the principle is that the. Uh, uh, Larger items usually will go more to the surface. It's like if you have like a bag full of like small uh, small balls, you know, bigger one, middle one, small one. If you shake it, the big balls are always going to stay at the top, and the smaller one are going to go at the bottom. It's the same principle with the with the airbag. So, just to summarize, avalanche equals time. This is a race against the clock. We're running against asphyxia, where we can save patients. The other thing is that. When we're dealing with an avalanche victim who does not have a pulse, is this patient without a pulse because he died of asphyxia or is this patient who, had, who died because of hypothermia? So in asphyxia, the longer you stay under the snow, after 35 minutes, your prognosis is just horrible. Versus hypothermia, where if you would have an air pocket and that patient basically just slowly cooled to death, and then we can potentially save these, uh, these patients and putting them on the special machines that we have at the, at the hospital. Last summary point is that we are in a cold environment and you want to protect the patient. All right, so this wraps up the first episode. I hope you enjoy it and keep tuned for more. This is Eric, I'm saying bless, bless.